0: you're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. In today's episode, Benjamin and myself speak about baseline testing, a widespread but difficult-to-treat disease. So I'm A big fan of LinkedIn. It's actually pretty much the only social media that I'm using. It gets lots of insight about what's going on in the industry. There's no cat videos and things like that. Uh, You can learn a lot about kind of what's going on with the competition, what's going on with regulators, what's going on in terms of the community. So join linkedin if you haven't done yet and if you're on linkedin then please also join the effective statistician linkedin group because there you will um, come together with like-minded people that also listen to this podcast and you can exchange your ideas and learn from each other This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video on demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. The reduced rate is just £20 for non-high-income countries and only £95 for the browsers. Visit the PSI website at PSIweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. This time, it's again Benjamin and myself. Hi Benjamin, how are you doing? Thanks Alexander, very well. Just returning from
1: vacation, so it could be worse. Like, <laughs> or it could be better. <laughs>
0: yeah depending on how you look at it but but i really overall i enjoy work so that's uh it's probably good but and sometimes you know vacation then some kind of work in the office can also be quite nice
1: that's that's true but still sometimes you need a break and that's why it's always yeah nice to be somewhere else especially if it's getting colder here and you go come from Go somewhere yeah,
0: I can imagine that Italy in fall is quite nice. So <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> so we are recording this in um, October of 2019. And today we are talking about baseline testing for randomized studies. When have you first been confronted with this problem or this topic
1: (laughs) yeah to actually actually not not that often in my in my career the reason is that i started usually with non-randomized studies so i had a lot of interaction with single arm trials and so there was some investigation quite meaningful in into the baseline characteristics so that's a different topic so actually i you know in my in my active life as a statistician i have not come across this topic at all i know that there are discussions ongoing and um i know that there are some challenges with it let's (laughs) phrase it this way um but actually it's not in my in my active um, portfolio of statistical um, misses
0: that i I can talk about so but actually
1: i mean what, what about
0: you well i can remember that when i was very fresh in the um Pharma life and um fresh from university, and didn't have a lot of ideas about uh, randomized control trials and uh, all around that, I was actually quite naively just doing some of these tests at baseline, not thinking a lot about it and then I remember I was at a at a meeting in u s and um we were discussing about the table outs of a phase three study, and um, there were these p-values for, for each of these uh, baseline tests. And the most senior statistician in the room steps up and said, we'll delete all these tests. That are, they are just nonsense. And that's where I first <laughs> learned about um, the problems with baseline tests. <laughs> Okay. But what?
1: what, why did you do it then initially? I mean, hasn't this been specified somewhere and
0: some senior reviewer was tumbling? No, it was, I think, just because there were two groups. And when there are two groups, what do you do? You compare them. And you had some the, the means and the standard deviations and everything described by by treatment arm, so just add a p value like what you usually do. I didn't really thought so much about it initially, but then he kind of explained why why it doesn't make sense yeah so so and the so very very easy explanation is we designed this experiment in such a way that at baseline both treatment groups are the same and any deviation is just random so at baseline we know that the null hypothesis is true because we designed it that way so testing it doesn't make sense because we know the truth <laughs> so so
1: yeah. So is it is it then that that people ask for it? I mean, in a way, yeah. in a way, it must be popular somehow because otherwise it wouldn't be a topic. So why? What is what is then the rational, Be if it's so easy, so straightforward to say, it's nonsense. So why why is it done then?
0: Before we looked into this uh, podcast and prepared the podcast, we looked in a little bit into the literature and and it's quite. Striking. If you look first in uh, some literature by Doug Altman from 1985, you already see this problem mentioned and discouraged. Just, just to repeat, 90, 85. <laughs> <laughs> 1985. 1985. <laughs> Then, you know, in the early 2000s, people like Stephen Senn even wrote about it and uh, said that it's not useful and actually more harmful than useful. And then we found even a publication that is from 2016, where the authors uh, write in a quick scan of recent publications in the journal Psychology and Health from 2000. 15 to most recent, I noticed that it's common for RCTs to, and now my include results in NHSTs. (laughs) Yeah. So of, of, of baseline tests. And this tendency seems pervasive throughout the literature. Yeah. And it is. You see it all around. So, so even after. How many? About 35 years of Doug Altman's um, paper. Now he died and it's still alive. It's kind of, it's it's really, really a big problem. And, um, you know, just by the easy example and the easy explanation I just gave, it's pretty obvious that anything needs to be just at random, but still people will ask for it. Yeah. So so there so will be people that will just be so used to seeing these p-values, they will say, please provide them. And to be honest, these people can come from all kind of different sources. You know, say they, they you may be just unlucky and have a even a regulator asking for that, or um peer reviewer at a at a journal. And then I think people say, hmm. Before I actually argue with that and put anything yeah. at risk, here it is. And I know from very, very senior statisticians that I had discussions with, they said, I'm, I am i don't care. I don't care. I don't want to invest time in, in fighting about that. I'll just give it. I'll think the problem is that if you just have enough baselines or enough studies, one or the other p-value be, will be yeah, significant. Percent. Just by chance. Yeah. At random, you should have some that, you know, if you test against 5%, about, you know, on average, every 20th p-value should be significant. And what you then you do about it. Yeah. So then you have this p-value and then you need to even argue about it. And then, you know, it's, you provided it and then you need to argue about it. That doesn't make sense. But why did you then provide it in the first place? So you get in these rabbit holes of discussing about completely non-relevant things. So, so today we'll give you a couple of resources that can help you to actually fight back on on this.
1: But how how do you then handle the baseline data? I mean, if you don't do the p-value, the p-tests or the testing with differences on differences, how do you incorporate them? Yeah, just... Just to show them.
0: I, th- I think for me personally, it's more to look into what are the characteristics of the population. Yeah, so, so it, for me personally, it's not so much of whether the two treatment arms are similar, it's more about what is the overall population of the study. So for me personally, I think, you know, it would be completely sufficient to show. You know, not by treatment groups, but just in mm. total. But of course, you want to see ends and, and a couple of other things. But generally, for me, is the baseline characteristics are important for understanding the results overall, for which patient population d- did you achieve the results, and how is that patient population, for example, different to another clinical trial.
1: Yeah, and for example, I mean if you do the randomization, if you plan the randomization, you do adjust for the for the relevant baseline characteristics anyway. Exactly. So so, so if then coming coming to a, to a conclusion after you've done the randomization correctly, then that somehow, you know, it doesn't doesn't make sense.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So so and that's a some important thing, you know, for for strong prognostic factors you should incorporate them in your um, study and uh, stratify for them. And by that way, you basically create sub-studies. You know? so, so let's say, uh, imagine, for example, gender is an important prognostic factor for the indication you're looking into. Then basically, you create a study within male and another study within female. And of course, things should be, you know, generalizable and and consistent. But in a sense, you have two studies. Yeah. So two, two twin studies in two different populations, the males and the females. So that's it. For me personally, I think it would make more sense to show the baseline characteristics by these different stratifications because you're basically running sub studies. Yeah. And and you want to see, you know, when males look different than females, what are all the differences between the males and the females, and and that actually would require maybe some some uh, statistical test, but not between randomized uh, treatment groups. Yeah. You know the the other thing is you only check for those that you have observed, not for those that you haven't yep. observed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so there is also in this a um, publication by uh, Stefan Kreuters. He speaks about um, and will. Put that in the show notes as usual, that even, you know, people then fish for the covariates they adjust for through that. And that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, because then you actually make things worse, like shown in lots of lots of literature. But, um, yeah, but this
1: brings me to, to another point is really, I mean, if you have, you're observed or you plan for covariates, then you include them in the analysis. So there's, again, this is not, you know, it's no need for bringing in any comparison at baseline.
0: It's for for prognostic factors that you know upfront, you should plan pre-specified subgroup analysis. And then you can include, okay, for this covariate, I know from this literature, and it's really good to include that in the protocol, where that kind of is coming from and what you expect in terms of the trends to see, you know, whether you see, you expect that females do better than males or whatsoever. It's really important to have that pre-specified in the beginning, and then you can uh, get over it. So, so in terms of the literature that we just discussed, so the the most recent one is called baseline comparisons and covariate fishing bad statistical habits we should have broken yesterday. Could have been also a really nice title of this podcast. Episode, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I think what it needs is for statisticians to be more bold and withstands request. Yeah. And, and it's about taking leadership here. It's about standing your ground and saying, this doesn't make sense. And if we do that, it for those who actually know that it's stupid, we look stupid and we don't want to look stupid. So, so that's Could be also a nice argument against it. Mm -hmm, It is. But actually, if you, if you say, I mean,
1: we said that it's illogical or at least it's, it's nonsense. It doesn't make sense. But is it then wrong to do the baseline testing? So does it do
0: any harm? I think it's misleading. It creates discussions where you then have, you know, nonsense discussions. Then you have discussions about, but here by chance there is something significantly different. Yeah, and then you can say, yeah, and by chance something else will be significant different, but in the other direction. Maybe we, have, we just haven't checked for that. Yeah, but 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 or we haven't collected that. So so and our overall statistical tests in the end take that into account. You know, they are designed that way. And
1: actually there's a there's a some some comparisons as well that you see that the it's even a higher percentage of you know in or of of random significance uh, that you can observe when when checking with the um when you know when you would repeat this on a uh, in a in an iterated uh, way uh, and and you look into the the um, into the publications so there's a lot of significance that you will see um that that is just by chance um, and, and actually higher than, than you would expect this to be.
0: Yeah. And, and then you need to waste space in your manuscript or report to, to, uh, discuss it. And, you know, that just confuses people and it just adds noise to the overall message of the uh, clinical trial. And for me personally, if I see something like that, I think, well, then I can't trust, can't trust the other, uh, statistical things in there. Yeah, that's true. If, if that, if, if that statistician doesn't know that that's nonsense, what else doesn't he know? Oh, she know. Yeah. So, so I think it, it puts a lot of mistrust on, on, uh, on such a study. And this is usually shown at the beginning of the discussion. So uh-huh. you have the full time of
1: discussing the <laughs> results being <laughs> in this yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And probably there's lots of other things in your studies that are much more Worthwhile to discuss about. Another kind of really, really good argument against it is you know the, the papers that we uh looked into by Doug Altman. Doug Altman is for those who don't know him, he's not an unknown person. He is probably one of the most influential statisticians on evidence based medicine of the last decades. For those who don't know it, he's the first author of the CONSORT statement. And that is the statement, the checklist, that everybody should use for decades on how to publish randomized clinical trials. It should be in every medical writing basic course. It should actually be also in every stats training. Still, I know that lots of statisticians never have heard about the CONSORT statement, but it's really absolutely foundational in terms of reporting on clinical trials. Maybe it's that old that people think, well, everybody should know it by now. But, but like it is, you know, if you have just studied uh, now. That paper is already more than 30 years old, so maybe you see it as not relevant anymore, but I think it's as relevant today as it was when it was published.
1: Yes. And, and also like sometimes, especially when you look at the, the statistician working at the CROs, uh, you don't get too many publications as you would do usually when you work at the pharma side. So that's why you don't come across this that easily to the topic itself and the consort, um, the statements or the consort guideline for, for, um, publication. Yeah. However, yes, I came across it um, actually last, uh, no, this year at the PSI conference, there were some discussions around the console.
0: And the the console statements is something that you can really nicely use, uh, especially with comments from uh, journals, because that's something that they respect. And there it's written, and now I'm quoting, Unfortunately, significant tests of baseline differences are still common. They were reported in half of 50 RCT trials published in leading general journals in 1997. Such significance tests assess the probability that observed baseline differences could have occurred by chance. However, we already know that any differences are caused by chance. Tests of baseline difference are not necessarily wrong, just illogical. Okay, exactly. (laughs) It's basically
1: summarizing what we just said.
0: (laughs) So, so, you know, I think with, with this, we have given you a couple of really, really good citations to get into any discussions with your teams, with whoever wants to see these studies uh, these p-values and push back on them. It really stand your ground, push back on them, and say you don't want to look. You don't want to look stupid. Your study team doesn't want to look stupid. Just push back. And and I hope with these um, literature by really giants within statistics, use them, cite them and if people then don't listen i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah then you, you really need to work on your influencing skills <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so okay so that was today a little bit of a short episode but it's about the topics that um i see very very often i see it you know some companies even have these p values in their default baseline tables which i think is quite odd if your company does that maybe it's time to change that (laughs) absolutely and if your sponsor asks for it because you're working for zero maybe you can also improve the the reputation of your sponsor by giving them a little bit of a hint of well they don't want to look stupid either maybe (laughs) (laughs) absolutely all right talk to you next week
1: thank you bye bye
0: this show was created in association with PSI thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you as always for listening please tell others about uh, this podcast if you enjoy it so others can benefit from it as well you can just share the effectivestatistician.com homepage because there everybody finds all the show notes and you can learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. If you haven't done it yet, join the LinkedIn group and share your experiences and also tell your colleagues about it. So, reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.